You're listening to audio from Journey Bible Church. Join us every week for sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you would like to connect with us, head to journeybible.org connect. Good morning. For those of you that might be a guest, uh, my name's Mike Bickley. I, I serve on staff here at Journey Bible Church, and I just want to thank you for sharing your holiday weekend with us, and I hope that uh, you get the chance to enjoy a, a special day off tomorrow. I, I know that I have an early morning tea time, so I'm pretty happy. Um, we're really glad um, that you're here, and we just want you to know, if you're someone who may be on the fringes of faith, and you're here, maybe you are like some people that are in our congregation that are exploring and investigating Jesus. Uh, we just want you to know that we believe that God has left us his design for our lives, his will and his ways in his word. And our, our job is to discover what God communicates about himself and then to embrace that in a relationship with him that he's made possible through Jesus Christ. And then you and I are to follow Jesus we are to learn what his will is in the situations of our life, what the ways are that we should live out our faith, and we are to do that together in a church. So we know that God's word brings challenge and exhortation as well as encouragement and comfort. It teaches us the things we must do, and it gives us the promises we can claim, and it tells us about the character of God that we can depend upon. We're in the last two verses of the book of James. So if you would turn to the book of James, go to the very end, the last two verses. That's where we're going to camp out this morning. And we've been walking through this letter for a couple of months now that James, the brother of Jesus, has written to a group of churches. And he's been challenging them not to think of faith as an intellectual collection of doctrines, but as doctrines that you put into action in the way that you live. And so this morning, we're going to look at the last thing that James talks about, and that is, what is it to be a church that rescues? You know, many of the New Testament letters, you get to the end of that letter, and there's these, these times where there's reflection, and there's greetings to this person, and help this person, and there's this kind of relational ending of the letter. James doesn't do that. There's none of that at the end of this letter. It's finishing the way that he begun. It's a strong, final exhortation for you and I as followers of Jesus in a church. And here's what James 5, 19 and 20 says. My brothers and sisters, always when we see the plural and the masculine, unless context determines otherwise, we assume He's speaking to all people in these congregations, but he's using the masculine, which was normative in that time frame. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. 
So this is the passage we want to tackle this morning. I know I have students in our midst, and so if you're a student who can take notes, if you will take notes this morning, and you will email those to me at mikeb at journeybible.org, I will send you a gift card and a note of thanks for paying attention to the sermon. If you can talk your parents into taking notes this morning, I'll send them it. No, I won't send them a gift card. But if you're a student and you want to do that, I would love to see um, what you have this morning because this passage, actually, when I was in school, um, many of my friends that made professions of faith wandered away. And this this morning is going to give you some practical principles about how you might be able to bring them back. Let me pray for us. God, we ask that your word would now touch our hearts, that it would convict us, that it would guide us, instruct us, encourage us, challenge us. Lord, I pray that as I walk through this passage that you might even work in the lives of some who are here to point out a specific individual they know who has wandered away, that you may be leading them to bring back. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this last year, one of the great... uh, Uh, joys of being a grandparent is playing with your grandchildren once they get to that age where, you know, they can play and you're not just holding them and Googling at them. And uh, and so uh, Mia has been that. And we bought a a box of rescue heroes. Anybody know rescue heroes? You may not if you're of the younger generation. My kids played with those and Power Rangers. Do you guys remember Power Rangers? Well, the the rescue heroes were a, a group of what you might call first responders. They, they were people that would go um, uh, and would uh, go to disasters, whether they were man-made or by evil or, or just a bad situation, and they would travel the world rescuing people um, from the bad situations that they found themselves in. And, uh, and so in the rescue heroes, they, they didn't really care how you got into trouble. Like if you're wrapped around a live power line, they're not so concerned. How did you get there? They were concerned about getting you out from that. And so at the end of every one of the shows, after they rescued somebody, they would give their advice on safety and resolving conflict. And they would always say this, think like a rescue hero. Think like a rescue hero. Today, I think what I would hear from our social media is think like a cancel villain. When someone deviates from what we define as the right path, and they, then, then we don't engage them in discourse. We don't discuss things rationally. We don't have a meaningful discussion to see what it is that we disagree on. We just cancel them. It doesn't matter whether what they did was a slip of the tongue, whether it was something from decades ago, or it was something intentional. We just cancel them. We want to destroy. We want to eradicate. We want to silence. We want to extinguish. We want to terminate. That seems to be one of the, one of the patterns of our culture is to do that. And I want to remind you 
that the church is not a cancel culture, it's a rescue center. I want you guys to hear this strong and clear. So many times in honkering down, in waging war against the world's encroachment on our freedom of religion and the truth of the gospel, we can huddle up. And when somebody deviates from the truth, when somebody walks off, we can just make comments. We can leave them alone. We can let them walk away because we're more concerned about preserving ourselves than rescuing those who are in trouble. I want you to think like a rescue hero this morning. And James does too. He finishes the book with this idea of rescue. Now in the passage right before, he's dealt with how the church responds when somebody willingly comes confessing sin, seeking their elders to pray over them and anoint them with oil and consecrate them afresh to God, expressing forgiveness. But now he says, what about the person who's wandered away, has left the flock, has been desensitized to their sin, is living in sin. What do you do, church, in situations like that? The church is supposed to rescue the naive, rescue the deceived, the sinful, the careless, the rebellious, the immoral. See, James has one dominant theme in this book. Genuine faith is a faith that works. Genuine faith is living, it's active, it's vibrant. You can see it. True faith is the way people speak, the way people live, the way they relate with one another. Faith is not just an intellectual agreement. Faith is putting doctrine into action in everyday life. And so here... He wants you and I to be someone who goes after the one who has wandered away, the one who's been deceived, the one who's living immorally, the one who's been rebellious, the one who's caught in a cycle of sin and shame. He doesn't want us to throw them away. He doesn't want us to let them continue wandering. He doesn't want us to say good riddance. He doesn't want us to turn our back. He wants us to turn them back. James's final mark for a healthy church is the one that will go after the wandering brother to shed light for the deceived, to strengthen the weak, to bind up the wounded, to turn back the rebellious. James ends with this passionate appeal for you and I to understand a final summons of the importance of you and I being a fellowship that's willing to run spiritual rescue operations. So I have three things this morning we want to focus on. And the first is the need for spiritual rescue. James says in these verses that people wander. People are prone to wander from the God they love. Anybody know the great hymn? You know, that is our, our tendency, is to wander away, to drift into sin. We may fall into an immoral lifestyle, or we may go into an immoral lifestyle. We may buy into false teaching. We may begin to live corruptly. I want you to notice 
the word wander in, this, in these verses. If anyone among you wanders from the truth, a sinner from his wandering. And so there's kind of two ideas behind the word wander. One is that you stray, like you fall asleep at the wheel and you drive off the road. Or, or you take the wrong exit thinking it's the right exit. There's that idea of maybe you've been led astray or maybe you've gone astray. But maybe it was unconscious. Maybe it wasn't something, a deliberate, sinful, rebellious choice. But the word wander can also include that. It can include the person who's driving down the right path and decides to take a detour. To enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So wander can be both of those. A willful and intentional departure from God's path of righteousness. Or an inadvertent and unconscious falling into sinfulness. And so rather than letting someone adhere to untruth. Rather than letting them graze on half-truths and rationalizations, rather than letting them convince themselves by their feelings, rather than letting them buy into the lies of the devil, rather than letting them continue drifting from God, whether it was intentional or unintentional, you and I are called to go after the one who wanders, to bring back a sinner from his wandering, to bring back from their misguided way of life, their deceived way of living, their deluded understanding of right and wrong. A spiritual rescue operation is something that the people of every fellowship should do with anyone who's intentionally or unintentionally wandered away from this, the truth. My brothers and sisters, if any among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him or her back. How beautiful is that? Don't abandon them. Don't ignore them. Don't cancel them. Every person is precious to God. Every person has eternal worth. Even the one who's walked away. Even the one who's embraced the most worldly, grotesque, evil lifestyle. Church, Think like a rescue hero. So what is the goal of spiritual rescue? It's restoration. It's, it's bringing them back into healthy vibrancy. The object of a spiritual salvage operation is to turn people around, to bring them back to the right path, to redirect them to God and his will and his ways. You know, you, you've seen all those commercials or, and you've seen the programs, the before and after photos like of the house that got the makeover or the car that got the restoration. I want you to think in that way. When you're going after someone, you don't have the picture in your mind of the beat up rusty one. You have the picture in your mind of the healthy, sanctified one. That's what you are pursuing. You're focused on the reality that they need to be restored, to be brought back. It may be a change of belief. It may be a course of conduct 
It may be a change in a way of living. I want you to think of yourself as a wrong way sign to caution them of the dangers of heading down the wrong path. Or maybe a caution sign. You're there to warn them of the consequences of staying on the path that they are on. And so you and I need to remember this is someone precious to God. And they may be headed for a spiritual train wreck, a total disaster. And so you and I want to go after them. We want to bring back someone who is wandering. I love the way that he says, and someone brings him back. I'm going to repeat that several times. And someone. You. And someone. You. And someone. You. Brings them back. Now let me just tell you something. You, you can't bring them back in the sense of force them. But you can be God's instrument of compassion and mercy. And then God has to do the rest to change their heart. But you and I need to be aware that the spiritual realities of someone's soul are the most weighty of all the things in the world. Spiritual poverty is a good thing, our brokenness before God. Stubborn arrogance is a bad thing against God. And so you and I want to be the ones that go after the person who's found themselves trapped, willingly or unwillingly, in the snares of the devil, the ways of the world, and the pleasures of their flesh. So I hope you see how serious this call is, how important this call is. As a matter of fact, I'm guessing right now, and I'm going to give you an action plan at the end, I'm guessing right now, there are some of you, you've already got somebody's name you should be writing down. God's already brought a specific person to your mind who's wandered away, who's taken a detour. Some intentionally, some unintentionally. Some have just bought into a massive set of lies. And you're thinking, you know, I need to go to them. I need to talk to them. I need to share scripture with them. Maybe you know someone that's flirting with an affair. Maybe you know someone that's already fallen into one. Maybe you know someone making a series of sinful decisions, and you know where that's going to lead to disaster. Maybe you know someone who's so rationalized their sin, they can't even see that it's sin anymore. Maybe you know someone who's taken the easier road of worldliness rather than persist in the road of righteousness. Maybe you know someone in our church who's wandered into immorality. By God's grace, we could become that someone who brings him or her back. You know, most of the time when it comes to dealing with sin, we fall into one of two extremes. The, the first extreme is what I call the spiritual police. You put your spiritual badge on, you grab your spiritual billy club, and you're looking for one sin that you can just smack somebody over the head with. Tell them, stop in the name of the Lord. And you just, you feel like you're a self-appointed spiritual police person. 
right? And that's not what James is talking about. He's not talking about the isolated sin and how we deal with that. He's talking about persistent sin. And here's the other extreme we often go to. In those situations, you and I back off. We let them go. And it may be because we struggle with that sin ourselves. Or maybe it's because we've been told that we'll be judgmental. By the way, the scriptures say judgment begins with the house of God. It may be that we want to please people. It may be that we hate confrontation. It may be that we don't know what to say. It may be that we don't know how to go to them. But both those extremes are not where we should live. Where we should live is with compassion and mercy, with a desire to see the fallen restored, the broken restored, the wounded restored, the rebellious restored. See, this may be a strong statement, but when you and I ignore a brother or sister in our body who has walked into sin or fallen into sin and we leave them there, then I think we can say we're enabling sin. And that's why James ends this book with the idea of spiritual rescue, bringing those people back. You know, in 1945, um, as the Americans were making great progress in taking over the islands of the Philippines in the World War, um, there were 500 American soldiers that were at a Japan, Japanese prisoner of war camp called Kamanatan in the Philippines. They'd already faced brutal conditions, disease, torture, mal malnourishment. But as it became clear that the Americans were eventually going to take the Philippines, the Japanese made the decision that they would execute all American prisoners of war before they would be liberated. In a nighttime raid, a group of 100 army rangers and 200 Filipino guerrillas traveled 30 miles behind Japanese lines to attack a compound and rescue those 500 prisoners of war. In a fierce coordinated attack that lasted 30 minutes, they killed hundreds of the Japanese soldiers, rescued the POWs, and started the trek back to the American lines. We have... Tons of stories of such valor, such concern and love for those that have been captured. That's the way the Bible paints the picture of the person trapped in sin, captured by the devil to do his will. Sometimes we've got to go behind enemy lines for those that are slated for execution so that they can be liberated. That's what you and I must be a part of. Spiritual rescue operations when people have wandered away into sin. So my third point this morning, picture of those liberated guys, how do you think they felt? I want to give you five principles for a rescue operation this morning. So if you're taking notes, um, I want you to write down five attitudes or principles that you need to apply as you go to rescue somebody. And if you're not taking notes, I need you to take notes. Because God may be challenging you 
to go on a spiritual rescue operation. So here we go. Here are the five principles. Number one, pray fervently. Probably the most important thing that you and I can do for a spiritual rescue operation is to pray. The work we are doing is a work that only can go hand in hand with God. We may go to someone to be an instrument, but God is the one who must convict him. God is the one who must work in their soul to give them the strength that they need. And so you and I are fighting a spiritual battle, and we need spiritual weapons. And we know that prayer is a spiritual weapon. And one of the great passages in the New Testament about spiritual warfare, Ephesians chapter 6, after Paul lays out the armor and he talks about the weapon of our, that we use, the sword of the Spirit, he then says that in all of that, you and I should be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Prayer is our foundational weapon that allows us to go behind enemy lines. So I'd encourage, if you're sensing God's leading you to go after someone, number one, enlist a prayer partner. And the two of you start praying for this person and the circumstances. And and you you may say, this is so tough. I need a prayer team. Enlist a prayer team that will begin to pray in advance and then pray for you on that day when you approach this person. Pray fervently. The second principle is be ready to speak the truth in love. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. We wield it not just in battle against the enemy's deception. We share it in the midst of those moments with the fallen believer, knowing that God's word has power. In Ephesians chapter 4, he encourages the church to be a church that's stable and strong, and that part of what they've got to do is learn to speak truth to one another in love, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Specifically there, he's targeting the deceit of the enemy and the worldly system that he has set up to oppose God. Rather, we'll be people speaking the truth in love. We must learn to speak truth to deception. We must learn to lay out God's strategies against the devil's schemes. You and I don't go to someone in anger because of their choices. We go to someone in love because they're captive. And we want to see God free them. So I'd strongly encourage you, if you're going to someone, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you ahead of time to the passages of Scripture. You should be praying for them the passages of Scripture that you should share with them. And then you should ask them, hey, I have some things I'd like to share, and they're, they're based in some Scriptures. I've been praying for you. May I share them with you? And if they say no, say, you know, I, I really care about you, and it would be important for me to share with you some things that I think could really help you at this time. And if they turn you away, 
Then say, well, can I pray for you? And pray those scriptures for them. The third principle, be patient. When Paul wrote the church church in Thessalonica, he realized that many times with spiritual work in people's lives and especially spiritual reclamation or, or spiritual restoration or a spiritual rescue operation, we need patience. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Not everything changes overnight. It would be beautiful, it would be wonderful if you go with them, you share a scripture, they repent, they turn from their sin, there's no messiness, everything's clean, everyone's forgiven. Day number two, after spiritual rescue, number one, everything's perfect. How many of you know that that's not usually the way it works. It's often very, very messy. There's relationships that are broken. There's shame. There's guilt. Depending on what they've done, there may be a need for restitution. There may need to be a path of reconciliation. And so when you enter into the rescue, it can be really messy. And you have to learn to wait on the Lord, to keep engaging, to be patient. And that leads to the fourth principle, which is you're always pursuing something, and that is the restoration of that person, the maturity of that person, the healing of that person, the reconciliation of that person. You you want restoration in two ways. Every time you go after someone, first, there's a vertical restoration, right? All sin is sin against God, so that's the first thing. You want them to return to a vibrant walk with God. That's number one. When they do that, then there's going to have to be a horizontal restoration because they've sinned against people, not just against God. And so there's going to have to be a repairing of those things. And so you're going to have to pursue with them that horizontal restoration as well as the vertical restoration. And Paul warns us in Galatians, he says, Brothers, sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Let's just be real, right? Except for the grace of God, there go I. And that should be the attitude anytime we go after someone. Except for the grace of God, there go I. Except for the active grace of God, I could be in the same situation. Fall into the same trap. Walk down the same road. And then the fifth principle. is Somebody's going to have to walk with them. Walk with them. Disciple them, encourage them, hold them accountable. And and so you need to be prepared for that person to be you, or you may get into it and you may realize there's someone better. For example, if someone that has a very entrenched um, addiction or someone who has a very entrenched hurt, they, they may need to go to celebrate recovery. And they, they may need a, a community of openness 
that you don't find everywhere and, and vulnerability. And then there's these things called step studies where people walk through the biblical principles of, of repentance, restitution, and then restoration, and then actually going on spiritual rescue operations to help other people caught in the same things you were caught in. And so celebrate recovery. You, but you, what you do is you go with them. You take them there. You introduce them to the people. You help them find. You make sure they've got that person in their life, that group in their life. Maybe you know someone. I, I, just another example. I, I'm leading a, a Bible study uh, starting September 12th called Loving and Leading. It's, it's about learning to love our families, lead our families, love our spouses, lead our spouses. Maybe you know someone that that's their area. That's where they've fallen. Maybe they've abdicated their responsibilities. Maybe they've run from their responsibilities. As you go to them, don't, don't just say, you need to go to this class. Come with them. Walk with them. Make sure they get in a group. Make sure they begin to apply the principles that God teaches to their situation. See, church, when we run a rescue operation, we make sure that we either get the triage to that person and bring it ourselves, or we get them to a place where they get the triage. Amen? And that's what you and I want to do. You know, I had a friend who, one of his uh, most uh, treasured possessions is, is a, uh, um, what do they call it when they take an original painting and they make a copy of it? What's that called? Not a forgery. Uh, <laughs> it's good, but uh, it's a signed print. Is that what they call it? A reproduction? And he has a reproduction of Rembrandt's uh, painting in, from 1699 of the return of the prodigal son. It's a beautiful painting. Uh, as a matter of fact, an, a number of people have spent days, if not weeks, staring at the painting, trying to interpret Rembrandt's understanding of God the Father and, and understand the repentance uh, of the son who had been wayward. And as you'll see here in this portion of the picture, uh, that uh, it's a picture of the hands of the father embracing the wayward son. The father had been waiting with outstretched arms, with fatherly love and pardon. And the son came as one who was unworthy, begging for mercy and compassion. And in the painting, there are two areas where light emanates, one off the face and one off the hands. One man describes the father's hands this way. He says the left hand, which would be the one on our right here, is touching the son's shoulder. The hand is getting strong and muscular. The fingers are spread out and cover a large part of the prodigal son's shoulder. It seems there's pressure on that thumb. Not only to touch, but with strength to hold. And though there is gentleness in the way the father's left hand touches his son, it's not without a firm grip. Oh, but then look at the right hand. The hand does not hold or grasp. It's refined. It's soft. It's tender. The fingers are close to each other, and they have an elegant quality. It lies gently upon the son's shoulder. It wants to caress, to offer consolation and comfort. 
What a beautiful picture of God. We come to one who is both holy and strong and compassionate and merciful. One full of love and forgiveness. A one who is awaiting the prodigal's return. Who do you long to see back in the Father's arms? Both that strong grasp and that compassionate grasp. For the next five minutes, I'm going to ask the leaders of our church, our deacons, our elders, our staff, if you would just come on up here to the front and be available for prayer. Come on up now. And, and what we're going to do is this. If you have somebody on your heart this morning that's wandered away and you want prayer because you're thinking God may be asking you to do something, then I want you to come up here and pray with them. I just want you to come up and say, hey, my name's Jonathan. I have a friend named Scott who wandered away. If you want to give a few details, do. And I'm I just wondering how I should respond and how I should approach him. Would you pray for me to have God's wisdom? And then just let our leaders pray for you. So quietly, we're going to just let you guys come. We're going to play some music softly in the background. And if you've got somebody on your heart, you just come forward. Just say, my name's Mike. My friend John, please pray. And let them pray for you. We're going to do this for a few minutes. And then as time moves on, we'll either run out of people to pray for or it'll be time to sing our last song and we'll keep praying right through the song. So church, if you've got somebody on your heart, come forward right now. Take a step. If you've been convicted, there's someone in your family, someone in your network, somebody at work, someone in your neighborhood, someone in this church specifically that God wants to bring back. Come and let somebody pray for you as you take on that. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. Thanks for listening.